it all. Dad stories. Holla. Thank you very much. <laughs> the eulogy ghost writer. Do it all dad. Hide a bit in his old stand-up comedy act of yesteryear. <laughs> that was a light years ago. Back when he used to live in Brooklyn. Back when Lena Dunham had much skinnier arms and wasn't so full of herself. And in that old school stand-up comedy act of yesteryear, he had a bit called Wise Black Grandma. When he used to say, if I could do it all over again, I would have subbed my no-show whiny Jewish grandma for a wise black grandma to fill in for a place at my wedding instead. <laughs> Post an ad on Craigslist. Wise black grandma needed for a wedding in Woodstock. Tyler Perry impersonators are welcome. Must be comfortable performing in front of white audiences only. Growing up, do it all dad. Grew a fondness, teetering on full-blown love for his substitute Grandpa Ed, who exuded the furry-browed, warm-hearted, wiser glint you'd expect from a retired Jewish estate tax lawyer from Queens in his button-up, neatly woven sweaters and whiff of well-put-together aftershave. Becoming a, a grandpa doesn't transform you automatically into Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah, Grandpa Ed Doodle Dad's substitute grandpa, whose Jewish grandmother, Ethel, remarried soon after the death of her first husband, Murray, would always shell out a neat, crisp $5 bill for the grandkid who found the afikoman, which is the half-broken piece of matzah little Jewish kids go looking for after dinner for Passover, which was a nice, cheer-filled touch to celebrate the Jewish people's liberation from slavery in honor of God's Hardcore divine intervention years on the behalf of his chosen people, meant to become cosmic perfectionist lovers of TV who live to complain in restaurants about unrecognized, immediate, catered to service. <laughs> now, Grandpa Ed had a grandson from his first marriage, yet you didn't get that distinct impression based on the eulogy he delivered on his grandpa's behalf. And Roger was billed as the really smart one because he played chess and wore plenty of turtlenecks, which gives you 10 extra IQ points easy. Grandpa Ed was dead now, and Roger, who later went to Harvard, was supposed to be giving a heartfelt eulogy in honor of his biological grandfather, not his rebound one. Yet merely reading some boring letter his original wife wrote to Grandpa Ed, devoid of any juicy details, such as their sweaty sex period after World War II, when she used to lick ice cream bonbons off his belly button during those brutally hot summer Queens nights before Grandpa passed the bar, becoming a family estate tax lawyer and could afford an AC unit of their own, failed to bring back any semblance of real deal connected feeling either. Eulogies really do separate the men from the ungrateful twats such as Roger, who couldn't muster up a single original expressive Remembrance of his dead biological grandfather, who treated him like the second coming of Bobby Fisher. Eulogies also reveal if Grandpa raised a cunt for brains of a daughter or not, too. <laughs> now, there's a good kind of goal and a bad kind of goal. 
McVay, Rogers, Clammy, Insincere Peppy, Patronizing, Style Free, Ted Stumpy Mother, showcase the worst kind of gall. When during her eulogy, she went for the kishkas, meaning the intestines in Yiddish, by openly declaring permanent F.U. open season on do-it-all dad's grandmother. When she said, with what felt like manufactured, dialed up, infected to the umpt degree, I'm just glad that my dad can now join my mom in heaven, which was a low blow on par with Mini-Me trying to know off Austin Powers' nuts in the spy that shagged me. Now, in the limo ride to the gravesite, Faye asked do-it-all dad, at the time a 20-year-old college junior, <laughs> he was not Miles Davis, <laughs> uh, working as a, a band leader getting paid 800 bucks a week, being sucked up by Charlie Parker every two seconds, who was already a father too. Not that do-it-all <laughs> dad, Miles Davis, 20 years old, New York City. <laughs> Just to be clear, HALA! Miles lives, autobiography fucking rocks. Thank you very much! Now, in the limo ride to the gravesite, Faye asked, do it all dead. A 20-year-old junior, college junior at the time. <laughs> you didn't write your eulogy, did you? <laughs> and a 20-year-old do it all dad, not a dad back then, just to clarify, says, no, Faye, my mom wrote the eulogy for me. <laughs> Faye almost stutters and says, well, I just thought the 20-year-old do it all dad, again, not a dad back then, at, you thought what, Faye? I hired a eulogy ghostwriter, my busboy tip money from the cave this summer. My eulogy was well-received by the rabbi, Faye, because it sprang from my heart. Regardless of Grandpa Ed was my rebound grandpa or not, he still treated me like I was his own grandson, worthy of his wisdom and love. I recall Grandpa telling me how to place my feet when using a 7-iron once, which is more than my own dad ever taught me, besides a half-form hookshot. Wasn't there, and to hate all my dreams, <laughs> wasn't there anything Roger could have mentioned uh, to honor his legacy outside of reading an old letter his first wife wrote? Reality is, your son Roger, the genius, is the one guilty of plagiarizing by stealing the memories containing an old letter your mom wrote to fill in the laps of having any soul serenade sermon to deliver on his own? And where do you get the gall to disrespect my grandmother at her dead husband's funeral, regardless if you feel her endlessly manic, bipolar, art-buying spree of Southwestern American Indian art being responsible for draining his will to live one second more either? Also, Jews focus more on mitzvah, Faye, and doing good for the sake of of doing good here in this earth, that the intention of soul financial gain or promise hooked up afterlife in heaven where all sins are cleared, even if Grandpa Ed asked Jesus to forgive him for raising such a cunt for brains daughter like yourself. Do I have a way with words or what, Faye? But I'm positive. Roger will make an excellent food coloring chemist for Johnson & Johnson to overcompensate for his color-free personality, which he could thank you for inheriting at your funeral. Two, can I get a holla for my grandmother, Ethel Sands, a beautiful woman, super rambunctious, had lots of friends, and I want to thank Grandma for me inheriting her bipolar leanings because I've quoted all these comedy albums off Adderall, and I've gotten more in touch with you know my true rambunctious side more than ever before, and. Miles kicked the heroin, I'm kicking the freaking Adderall, and I'm going to show discipline like Sugar Ray Robinson, and I want to thank my grandmother for that Pfizer stock, my year in LA, that allowed me to take that deep dive into stand-up comedy, open mic land, that helped contribute to the man I am today. Um, I channeled her spirit when I wrote the Great American Jew novel, 
and I'm channeling it now, and I love you, Grandma, and I want to make you proud. Holla! Grandma! Ethel Sands Lynn, turn me on to Rabbi Mendel Schneerson. Some of the Lubavitcher Jews, consider him the Messiah. Look him up. Holla! Thank you very much! Lowman's disease! Holla! The spirit's pumping through my veins. Thank you very much! How loud was through it all, Dad? For starters, we're seeing Aerosmith live in Las Vegas two summers ago, pre-COVID. Close seats to the stage for the uh, the mass muzzle was designed to kill our freedom of speech forever. <laughs> it was incessant hollering and wooing made lead singer Steven Tyler shoot off. Retaliatory hate stares of disgust in his direction, which screamed, Somebody shut this loudmouth Jew up already. <laughs> this is my showcase career retrospective. Not his. <laughs> I didn't blow millions on blow and almost threw out my stadium selling out career in the 70s. Had this big-headed putsy Jew project ladder. Then I can without a microphone. Joe Perry and a state-of-the-art sound system working in his magnifying favor either. <laughs> Lab man's disease rules for triggering Steven Tyler. Holla! Thank you very much! There's also the time Doodle Dad saw dice in a casino in Arizona. His younger brother. Trump, he stole my axe! Holla! Dice lives! Thank you very much! There's the time Doodle Dad saw dice in a casino in Arizona. His younger brother, all over the dice man, to single out the loud mouth Jew and yell with exasperated force, You're an asshole! And all Doodle Dad was doing was laughing long time, all the time prior, while sporadically yelling, Dice lives! Holla! Thank you very much! Dice was so flummoxed by Doodle Dad's throaty, laugh-fuel roar, he beelined into his nursery rhymes prematurely, way ahead of schedule, to get the fuck out of Dodge at a hard 45 minutes into his set. True story. Can I get a holla for triggering Dice? Holla! Thank you very much! Then there's the time when Doodle Dad saw Bon Jovi at Mohican Sun with his daughter, selling a spleen in the process. Fairly... Up in the nosebleed seats this time behind the stage at his bombastic, rocket-fueled voice still managed to get under Zebra Prince's skin as the old-school, long-haired cowboy from Jersey projected a damning, you ain't shit, motherfucker, thousand-yard stare toward Mr. Lawman's to see general direction as he sang along with more rock-blasting authority. Bad medicine is all I need, oh Ah, New Jersey lives. Thank you very much. Doodle Dad didn't only piss off living legendary comedians and Hall of Fame rock star frontman with surefire unintentional precision. His omnipresent loud man's disease and rage is normally English dour future father-in-law over dinner at his home in Delaware only two minutes after Grace compelling him to bark out and depleted, drained already, disgust. He's more talkative than the other one. The other one being the Gentile mute from Indiana. His daughter was engaged to before his daughter found her real deal partner in love this time around, at least for the time being. The major issue now was do-it-all dad's loud man disease, causing his son, Archo USA, to develop all-consuming migraine headaches, leading his son to sort a permanent PMS face. Clay started to take up mainlining, extra strength, 
Tylenol again. And doing all that sun was tough. How tough, you ask? Well, when Archo USA required stitches for tripping on top of an empty IPA glass on the ground, had to wait 1,000 lifetimes in the emergency room so all the doctors could serve all the first-in-line dreamers in attendance, the doc gave doing all that two options. Either A, authorize the doc using an anesthesia, which takes 20 minutes to kick in, or B, stitch up his son on the spot as his gaping gash continued to open wider than Octomom after push 5,000. Holla! For doing all dad stories, being freaking loaded with A-plus dickery. You're welcome. Neil Simon, resist this. Holla! Thank you very much! B! Option to stitch up his son on the spot as his gaping gash continued to open wider than Octomom after push 5,000. Holla! Worth repeating, and I had to give homage to Greg Giraldo. Ha! Greg Giraldo lives. Thank you very much. Doodle Dad chose B. Only for the doctor to say, your kid is tough. Doodle Dad inquires, indulge me, Doc. How tough? Doc says, one time, this is Black Kid from Brooklyn. Doodle Dad says, soul, Doc. Thanks for giving my son tough guy bragging rights for me to derive vicarious pride from till my last dying breath. Holla! But I'm still waiting for him to... Complete the Rubik's Cube, and I was really hoping that can give me more bragging rights so we could like complete it like first day on the spot faster than like Will Smith and the pursuit of happiness. But nobody's perfect. Holla! First time I ever busted my son's balls in any public sort of form whatsoever, but it was fucking hilarious. Thank you very much! But how is Doodle Dad gonna solve his law man disease exactly? Would triple masking even get the job done? With getting his tonsils taken out for an extra safe precaution, too? Would Doodle Dad become a eunuch monk? Despite already feeling this way at times, for being a stay-at-home dad, a bitchy underling, those comedy writing career, performing career, she blasts off already, God fucking forbid, 60 records later on Spotify and iTunes and Amazon Music, holla, you want to support comedy, huh, you, you down with Patreon, hey SoundCloud, buy some fucking records, you're welcome, holla, thank you very much, we'll do it all dad to get a voodoo doctor in Washington Heights to cure his loud man's disease, we charge his pigmentation to ESL Asian. Holla! Geraldo strikes again. Thank you very much. What could do it all dad do to prevent his son from receiving any more debilitating headaches in his presence again? Finally, do it all dad. Devise a cure-all solution. He buy his son a pair of Bose noise-canceling headphones to wear in his presence. At all times are necessary. <laughs> and teach him fucking sign language because native New Yorkers were meant to be heard. Long time! Holla! Doodle Dad stories. Thank you! Very much! Doodle Dad does Mormonism. Holla! My headline hooker prowess galore on display. Long time, all the time. Holla! Doodle Dad does stories. Thank you very much! If you want to fly... You gotta give up the shit that weighs you down. Toni Morrison lives. Holla! She's a beautiful inscription inside the New York Public Library. We're checking out. Never had a bad writing session there. Holla! For tapping into the literary lion spirits of yesteryear. Thank you very much! Doodle Dad. A 45-year-old divorced father of three. Was burnt out on feeling like a waste of height already. He longed to fly high like MJ and Dr. J. Chocolate Thunder before him. Yet, what would Doodle Dad's next destination be? Doodle Dad had a gorgeous looking jump shot. Yet, he wasn't going to try for the European Basketball League at 45. 
Though his ball handle was still weak and can only dunk out with a mini basketball and a regulation hoop it. Six foot four in a non-game situation with an extreme running start and only with one hand while still fighting about awkwardly falling on his ass in the process. <laughs> one summer, when Doodle Dad was a lonely college student and still heartbroken over his summer romance with Katie in the Cape. It's a 10-point freaking nine, <laughs> which stayed in Kennedy country and within the deep pits of his pin heart. He was just a waiter at the New York Yacht Club and Ryan, New York, and became friendly with all the busboys and other waiters there. Once he came from the Boogie Down Bronx versus his more... Snuggle soft, secure upbringing along the Tudor House streets with uh, crisp cut grass. You get it and knocked over a Hebrew national dog from, assuming your uncontrollable putsy DNA held your semi surging self esteem hostage again, or you just dropped the spilled plate of barbecue because you have no sense of beer pounding pace whatsoever, especially with high octane weed puffed at an increasingly rapid rate. One time, in their downtime at work, Doodle Dad. Then known simply as Josh, was at a local basketball court with a Latino busboy who was half his size, boasting calf muscles thicker than the Yellow Pages, and launched high with zero hesitation for a thunderous dunk with reverberating authority as the lost 20-year-old college senior without a passion to latch a career into yet, miserably clueless about what type of white-collar job he'd pursue after graduating one of the top communication schools in the country, that being Ithaca College which he called Cornell's retarded next-door neighbor in his eventual open mic. Sent it back years later. Thinks to himself, look at Julio Fly. My dad's right. I really am a waste of height. So I scored 10 points against an old Japanese private team on our home floor. It's hard to feel empowered by my sudden offensive power surge then, consisting mostly of jumpers and some occasional semi-forceful layups to do some contact in the paint, knowing whoever my defender was. Next, had the tendency to run away scared from me when I drove to the hoop as if they were auditioning to play the roles of more scurrying movie extras in another Scorch City scene from Godzilla. Holla! Doodle Dad stories. Thank you very much! Then, after Julio's raise the roof in your face, I'm the man dunk, he encouraged Josh to get physical and try dunking at himself, saying, your turn, Josh. I'm half your size. Dunk at home for me. You can do it, player. Josh was very touched by this motivated nudge to assert his latent manhood, by at least trying to dunk a ball without fear of failure or embarrassment, falling on his ass or cracking his head on the concrete, trying to launch toward the hoop, more fickle feet apprehension, knowing his less than lackluster ups, which he's done nothing to accentuate since his varsity playing basketball days, when he used to run at his tippy toes instead of high tops, looking like he was auditioning for America's top model. Instead, <laughs> if only LeVar Ball was his sub-coach growing up, he'd make sure he lost his virginity for his younger brother did. He joked about this in his act when he auditioned for Amateur Night at the Apollo Theater once, adding, LeVar Balls, my sub-coach dad in high school, would have been great. Tell me house parties at home, only if I'd stuck up Jenny from the block two minutes into the party. He'd get up in Jenny's ear and bark, The Yoo-Hoo bottle doesn't spin itself, bitch! Now Josh takes a final glance at Julio on the sideline. He gives an encouraging fist pump, signaling, You can do this, champ. Josh does his best to run fast toward the hoop for a blast-off. He started running faster than he was accustomed to, which was far outside his comfort zone, for slowing down a tab before liftoff, which stripped him of all forward momentous lift, resulting in barely grazing the ball in the rim. It was impossible for Josh to conceal his dejected embarrassment, knowing fear prevented him from flying high again. Julio approaches Josh as his head hangs low in an excessively worrisome, I'm such a worthless putz. I'm such a worthless, stuttering pot. <laughs> We're graduating from a top communication school, allegedly. Again, as Josh has his hang down low 
and excessively worrisome. I'm such a worthless putz, deflated state, and says, you slow down. You can't be afraid to fly, B. Now, at 45, what was holding Doodle Dad from flying high with the Angels? Assuming ownership of his original birth name, Michael, instead of his middle name, Joshua, knowing Michael was considered partially godlike in the sense he packed enough firepower to kick Lucifer's ass out of heaven, wasn't adding any extra flying lift to his anemic vertical jump either. Doodle Dad loved his IPA. He said, after getting divorced from cheating on his wife with the with his kid's salon hairdresser who worked in his son's cut, which most would say was done in extreme poor taste, <laughs> he began to question the intrinsic value of his cherished IPAs. Severely questioning <laughs> the intrinsic value that his cherished IPAs had to offer in his rapidly depleting voided world without his three beamish wonder kids in his life anymore. After being so immersed in their lives, the podcast stayed on comedian for years, finding one more self-published book after another with more anemic Hard to find sales, revenue numbers to match after the next. <laughs> Do it all dead. Always like to read quotes on Goodreads to get his brain going when writing about a new topic. See what fresh point of view hadn't been expressed yet because his definition of failure was giving up on being the most unapologetic, genuine, original self in the service of showing blatant disregard for so-called ideals of appropriate, predetermined labeling behavior. One quote which always weighed heavily on his guilty play conscious was the one from famed novelist Toni Morrison stating, if you want to fly, you got to give up the shit that weighs you down. Now Josh was divorced from what descended into a loveless marriage of convenience, where he was treated like the hired help, more so than a true lifetime partner and love patriarch of his family. So he was free of that constant negative nagging energy in his life. Yet that wasn't enough to free him to fly. On a less psychic mumbo jumbo level, if Josh was brutally honest with himself, it was the mini beer belly, which prevented him from reaching sustained donking out glory where he had life in a perpetual ball death grip for good. The shit Josh needed to give up the most was ironically named Hop Juice. Now Josh needed a change of location where alcohol wasn't in your face on such a dominant aspect of nightlife. Like at a two drink minimum comedy clubs in New York City for starters. After a killer set the comedy cellar who doesn't want a beer or two to enjoy a post kill rush among a sea of newly touchy feely female fans. Josh was tired of hiding behind the computer from the real world. Now the comedy clubs were closed indefinitely in the case where you had to get the vaccination, <laughs> which uh, Josh refused to get in a post-COVID-controlled universe gone wild. If he was going to give up beer and actually write his new book, Concept, into actual novel already, Through It All Dead Does Mormonism, he needed to embrace the Mormon lifestyle by giving up his precious espresso pods, IPAs, and focus on shedding the extra 20 pounds holding him back from flying. Rock-powered authority, like Eddie Vedder, off the stacks at the AMS at the Rock and Roll Music Hall of Fame induction ceremony. So he could prove to himself he was capable of being a better man after all. Who could snag a smoking hot babe similar to Pearl Jam's frontman's wife? Chances are, Eddie Vedder did not meet his wife at a local Seattle coffee shop either. <laughs> but what would Josh do for money to pay child support and avoid jail time for failure to contribute? Nobody picked up the phone anymore, so work as an IT it's a recruiter was out of the question. It would only lead him to drinking again to take the edge off from feeling like a predictable, ineffectual, powerless, indentured servant, jerk-off digital marketer again and again. <laughs> no, Josh had to move outside his comfort zone, more so than going on a permanent detoxification this time around. He needed to put his handsome mug to good use, especially 
once he started dropping weight at accelerated rate again, which made him look like Vince Vaughn during his pubescent prime pre-insomniac years. Josh was blessed with a booming motor mount too. Who was a do-it-all coach dad who got his youngest in defensing, his second oldest at the swimming, and his third into volleyball, all on the verge of scoring respective sports scholarships for each. So how would Josh use his power to motivate, stimulate, and entertain while making enough bread to keep those child support payments up? Because getting another 50K sales rep job for a media software sales monitoring company, 45, wasn't going to get the job done. Finally, one night, after Josh was done pulverizing the vagina of his new kid-stylist girlfriend, Julia, striking, tall, muscular, stock, 50-year-old divorced blonde mom in tight ripped jeans, normally, he was caught staring at a swell package. First time he gave her the green light to give him a spiky-haired, lean-mean machine makeover. An idea emerged. Josh says to the chesty, sweat-drenched, chesty, perfect feet manicured Julian Bay. I can't make a living as a working comedian or as an author yet, but I could say fuck writing for the time being, which is a major time suck in my life, which I don't have the luxury to blow through anymore in my life at this point. As my doodle dad stick is wearing thin, if I don't start earning for my family... Uh, already. So I'm going to throw my ball second on the line and audition to become the next star Peloton riding instructor because they don't bore me to freaking death. I don't care how tan rip solid they look. I'm also ranking high on the leadership board every time without completely coughing out a lung in the process already. Plus, my motivation is to avoid getting anal AIDS in prison in addition to becoming a star provider for my family after all, which is what I pray to God for every morning anyway. The most popular Peloton instructors make 300k a year. No wonder why they're smiling so fucking much because it's not because of the woodiest sides on the bike. It's making their, their cheeks hurt from extended grinning. Also, I'm gay enough to be a male instructor to look stylish and be cheeky bitchy without sounding like a permanent bottom bitch. While also possessing enough manly, grizzly chest hair to arouse all the Peloton moms and younger millennial musketeers getting their efficient remote work groove on from home too. Plus, I wrote the entire script for VH1 Classic America's Hard 100, so I'm more than capable of crafting more kick-ass writing playlists Playing the same generic GNR songs all the time. Plus, I know enough about hard rock to know Foreigner kicks way more ass than the fucking Black Keys or Kings of Leon ever could. My chest. Hey, why don't we move to Utah together? Julia says, What the fuck is in Utah? Josh says, Mormon moms, they'll love me. In Utah, they have the most amount of plastic surgeon offices per square foot in the U.S., even more than Beverly Hills. I'll be flush with primo new fantasy bang material. Assuming I get tired of bursting with joy between your gorgeous lobes of perfection on top. Come rain or shine, Julia says. Look, Josh, I like you plenty. You make me laugh constantly and dent my pussy for weeks, which I'm not complaining about one iota either. But let's be honest, I'm your divorce rebound lay. Nothing more, nothing less. Although sometimes a divorce rebound lay can help arouse what you're most passionate about doing next. Josh says, my son Arthur keeps asking me if He's going to take a picture of me dunking a basketball while slamming an empty IPA for the back cover pick. I think I finally found a way to do it on top of some basketball court overlooking Zion National Park. The Lion of Judah will conquer his white man's disease after all. Like a true doopy conqueror, Bob Marley lives. Holla! Thank you very much! Do it all, Dad. Does Mormonism can be sold as a self-help Midlife crisis reinvention novel about a divorced dad who decides the best way to fly is to give up the shit that weighs him down. That being beer and a nagging ex-wife who always insisted I was more of a 
writer than a performer, which is bullshit all the way. This would prove her wrong, and I could become the star provider for my family after all. Julia says, yeah, but are you really going to give up everything for this part like the way Rodney's character does for easy money? Joshua says, eventually I can get a medical prescription for some stink-free edibles. For claiming PTSD after learning my mother-in-law force Eucharist on my three kids behind my back. <laughs> the Church of Latter-day Saints will eat that shit up like polygamy, jello, wrestling, wife night. <laughs> Plus, I'll make up some line about me converting to Mormonism because you can achieve salvation through good works. Someone said act in mitzvah in the Jewish faith. Doing good for the sake of doing good. For goodness sake. I get thrown a line how becoming a Jew for Jesus is tempting, yet I can never get past the rule of allowing entry into heaven if you're a sanctuary city mayor who asks for forgiveness before his final judgment despite being guilty of using their powers to block the deportation of child rapists who don't belong in our country in the first place. Ban ice because Homeland Security was so weapons of mass destruction years. My chest. Julia laughs and says, when you become a big-time Peloton instructor, maybe I'll fly out to visit you. Joshua leans closer to his divorce, rebound, late career, revitalizing muse of sorts with steamy, inhalatory glee and says, but the book isn't called Doodle Dad Does Italian Hairdressers from Yonkers, New York. <laughs> Still, I need to get into tip-top shape for this audition. So how about I pump your box one more time for the road instead? Julia grabs Joshua's throbbing man meat underneath the sheets and says, you make it hard to say no. Holla! Do it all dad stories. Thank you very much!